Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name is Baron. And I'm Elsa. We live together in a 13-foot scamp trailer with our dog camp in the American wilderness. Hi! Welcome back. Wow. It's been a minute. Yeah, we took a nice break from podcasting. Not really intentionally. We just haven't recorded a podcast. We've had... a Winter has been going on. It has. Which is really the perfect time to record podcasts. So <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense that we have it. Yeah. Maybe we'll get back into the groove now that we're getting these up. Yeah, I. It's harder to know... I think with podcasts, if people are listening to them, whereas YouTube, it's like the response is there and it's obvious. So then it's like, okay, I want to keep working on this because people are receiving this. The podcast feels a little bit more like we're putting things into the ether and just doing it. Not a ton of feedback. But that's cool. I love listening to podcasts, so I'm happy to... It's our primary mode of entertainment. Right. So it's cool to record them, whether people are listening or not. I think, too, I've been uploading the older ones to my YouTube channel, just my personal channel, and that will help just to generate conversation and stuff around them because people, for whatever reason, struggle to log in on my site and comment and everything. So It's not as intuitive as, I mean, everybody's always using social media platforms. Right. People aren't really, maybe back in the day when people were doing more blog yeah. stuff. That was uh, an easier thing to do. Yeah, I just am kind of forcing it to, um, because my site is independent of all those things. I think it's great to have it all on your site as well. And your site is full of really excellent information and also thoughts that you don't get a chance to explain or speak in the YouTube videos. Totally. So, we're getting back on the podcast train. We figured since we are in the dead of winter right now, the heart of it, I guess I should say, we would talk about some esoteric camping, winter camping things that maybe you wouldn't think about or wouldn't be super obvious unless you actually started doing this and living like this. And both the good and the bad, because there are lots of positive things that would, that you wouldn't think about, so... And we do mention these a lot in our winter camping videos. So we tried to come up with the, I don't know, the things that don't get mentioned. And on the podcast, it gives us a chance to elaborate a little bit more. Expand, yes. You want to start? Yes. Should we start with the more challenging things or the easier things? The, like, better, the things we love about winter? I don't know. Let's just kind of wander through it. Okay. Well, the harder challenging things are listed first, so let's do that. And you'd kind of think it would be easier to come up with the harder things. Yeah, but it's not. But once we have, we've built our kit and our situation to accommodate for the harder things. So now they're not so hard anymore. So if we were to make this list two, three years ago, I think it'd be a lot easier (laughs) to come up with hard things about camping in the winter. This is the first year that we really haven't adjusted much. We're actually the, well, no, that's not true because we adjusted the insulation and like those are some big things. But we did it preemptively. It's not like this year we haven't had to buy or acquire things to accommodate winter. Yeah, we went into winter set. Everything's dialed. Yeah. And actually what we did do is we went into the coldest temperatures we've ever experienced in winter. Mm -hmm. So that also I think says that we've come a long way in our winter preparations we love winter. When we first started, what was what did we consider cold? Like 35, even like 40s, like low 40s was cold? Yes, because we started this in the winter. We moved in in December. Right. And then we left in February from Kansas City to go to Colorado, to the mountains. And I'd say anything below 60 felt pretty damn cold. Mm-hmm. But now we've been camping... Even at zero degrees with negative 15 wind chill is not cold for us in the scamp. Like everything, we can handle it just fine and it doesn't feel oppressive. I think what we had to do is also experience the heat in the scamp to really figure out um, or to 
be better with the cold. To appreciate the cold. Yes. Because it wasn't until we experienced 90 degrees in the scamp that we really realized that 30 degree temps are our favorite sleeping temperatures. Even in Montana, that summer that we were in Montana, that heat was just miserable. And mosquitoes, like 90 degrees in the scamp is not, not nice, especially sleeping. Okay, so I guess the first kind of most obvious thing for us is storing food, right? Because we can stay out longer in the winter because we can store food. And it kind of opens up our food options to where we can buy stupid things and eat more meat and stuff. Our cooler becomes more of a an anti-freeze box. Whereas <laughs> in the summer, we are doing everything we can to keep the cooler cold. And we don't get a refrigerator because it's only in the couple months of summer that we would really like to have cold food. Mm -hmm. But we just work with that, and it's fine, and it's over before you know it. But in the winter, we have to store things in the cooler that we don't want to freeze. Actually, this That's year... That's not necessarily well, true. Especially this year, because in past years, before we insulated underneath the scamp, the floor, the the floor of the scamp was so cold. Mm -hmm. It's It is hard to even keep your feet on the floor because it's so cold. This year with the insulation, um, even with my rain odds, I can have my feet on the ground sometimes even without socks. And it's, man, it's made a big difference. But and if we want to keep something cold, like coconut water or coconut milk or kombucha or whatever, we can leave it on the floor and it'll stay cool enough. Right. There's certain spots, especially where we can tuck, uh, food, drinks, whatever into certain places and they will stay pretty refrigerated. But last year, had we done that, the stuff would freeze on the ground, even if we were keeping the stove rocking all night. So that's especially when the cooler was our anti-freeze box. Yeah. And I think now what helps too is we have the fan on top of the stove. The, what are they called? Ecofan. Yeah. The Seabeck uh, fan. And then we have two USB fans that move air around too. And we have one on the ground that kind of blows air around under the bed and circulates that really cold air. And then one up high above our bed that blows the hot air down. So I think having that movement in conjunction with the insulation has just made all the difference. It, we didn't get that second fan, the second USB fan, until last year sometime, right? Yeah. And I would say that that is... For all seasons, having as many fans as you can fit is the yeah. best best option for you to not have mold and frozen water and... Condensation. Yeah. We'll talk about condensation here in a sec. And then the, another thing that is just obvious to us is finding spots is so easy. Nobody's Nobody wants to do this. Yeah. we've In our last few spots, we've seen less than five people for sure even out and about nobody's camping that's just really nice it opens up a lot more areas to camp but now as we get better and better at this and sort of more self-reliant we can stay out longer the areas that open up to us um, have less competition for them anyway like we're not in popular areas ever it's always so funny when we get used to winter camping and the amount of people who are not out here and then spring hits and all of a sudden it's like oh yeah I forgot. Yeah, and then we're like, we need to get land now. <laughs> yeah, we are the weirdos who yeah. want to camp in the winter. But it took a, it took a while to get our, our kit set up. Maybe um, we can help with all this information, I don't know, help people explore. I'm, I'm... So some of the harder things we can dive into now, and then we can meander back to some more easy things. Because of the wood stove, of course, we have a teeny-weeny wood stove that is perfect to heat our tiny space. If we had any bigger of a wood stove, we would get burnt out of here quick. We well, even do with what we have now. We could put the same amount of wood, though, in a slightly larger stove and create the same amount of heat, but we would just have a bigger firebox. And I think that would be really useful, especially if, like, when we're processing our own wood. That's really nice. Versus with our teeny tiny wood stove, just the opening is so small that cutting wood that small is really difficult. I think it would be far easier to overload a bigger stove. Totally. I think for, I don't know what other scenario this wood stove is better for than a teeny weeny space like this. Yeah, the I think in most cases I would go 
knowing what I know now, with if I was going with a Cubic Mini, I would go with the Grizzly over the Cub. And we have the Cub, which is slightly smaller. But just so that you have a bigger opening and can fit bigger pieces of wood in there, even if you're not burning as much wood, I just think that would be really nice. I think what we should do for our Cubic Mini that we talk about every year is get some soapstones yeah. to absorb some heat. Uh, but then we still can't let it burn out. Right. We have to keep the coals. It's such a pain to wake up at night to a fire that's gone out because then you got to sit there and Because it's not necessarily it... hard to relight. It just takes time. Right. And you like got to wait be for patient. it. And that is not something you want to do in the middle of the night. And that is our first thing is we get less sleep in the winter because we, you almost adapt your sleeping patterns to the stove if you naturally there's like ups and downs of sleep as you go in and out of REM cycles and as you come out of one it's almost like we now attune ourselves to is if our faces are cold or if it's feeling cold it's like okay we got to get up and we got to load the stove or if I felt like wow I just got like I feel like I was in deep sleep then it's like oh I should probably deal with the stove People, or we always said, and people kind of relate our wood stove to tending to a newborn baby. Yeah, it's like having a baby dog. But the the first year that we had the stove was tough because I would just sleep straight through the cold. Now I've gotten, like you said, more attuned to it. So I wake up and I can deal with the stove. And that was always really stressful for me because I would stress out about the fire going out in the night. So then I wasn't getting sleep at all because I was stressed out about the stove burning out. And then I'd be the one to get up and you... Or wake me up. Right. And that was the only way that you would... At that point too, we were using wild wood that wasn't seasoned and... um, Wouldn't hold a coal for very long. Right. So if the stove went out, it was really a chore to get it going again. We just really had to practice, and now we know how to keep it going. We know the differences between woods and different um, compressed logs and stuff, and now we know how to sleep, and we both take turns lighting the stove. I think the best system that we have, we get up usually, especially in the really cold nights, we get up twice a night to load the stove. You go to sleep later than me. Mm -hmm. I'll normally stay up typically till like 12.30, maybe 1.00. So then I will wake up and do the first round of uh, reloading the stove because you're like, you've just gone to bed. You're really deep in sleep. So then I get up and do it. And then I wake up at six, seven, sometimes eight. And you do the second loading around like five Mm -hmm. so that then I can have my deep sleep right before I wake up. And that works out pretty well. Mm -hmm. It's a good system we have. Took a lot of practice and now it's, no big deal. Yeah. And then I'll just sleep in longer in the mornings, which kind of sucks because especially now we're on the, let's see, west side of the valley. So the sun comes up at what, around 8.30? Eight. Eight. Especially here because the there's a mountain range on both sides of the valley, right. on the east and west side of the valley. So we've got mountains now. We are on... We're on the eastern slope of the mountains, so sun sets in the west, and it sets around 3.30 where we're at. So we get a lot of morning sun. So then you waking up by 10 or 11, you have just like five hours of daylight. Right, which is not ideal. Imagine moving to Alaska. I just feel like you would have to change up your lifestyle completely. Oh, yeah. That would be so hard to not have sun. And then in the summer to have sun all day. Mm Mm-hmm. That's wild. Shoes in the winter are always cold. They're just sitting on the cool floor, and it's always very cold to put your shoes on, which is not great as you are then going and doing things outside. You've just got cold feet. And my boots are freaking giant. I wear a 12 and a half shoe, so my boots are just the most cumbersome giant things in the world. That's why oftentimes in videos I'll just be wearing tennis shoes. Because unless we're going on, like, an actual hike, I don't want to get my boots out because I don't want them sitting in the scamp. We've been walking a lot this winter, though, so you do kind of usually leave them out. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I always put your shoes on when I go outside to pee because mm -hmm. I can and, just and slide them on. Slide in the front, on. or like by so the front door, like we have a car floor mat that has really deep grooves so it can hold a lot of moisture. And I think that thing is absolutely essential for the winter. It's like one foot by eight or ten feet. It's really tiny. Eight or ten feet? <laughs> I mean inches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, really tiny, and it works really well right there. But then all around it, because it's so small, tends to get pretty wet. Mm -hmm. And then we that's one of the challenging things is just keeping that floor dry. Because then you go and absorb the moisture with a towel, but then that towel has to dry and evaporates all that water into the scamp air. So during the day, we generally have the top vent open and oftentimes two of the windows. And we just keep the stove going. And the fans running. Right. And we just really burn out all the moisture in the air. The Scamp is really incredible. It wasn't designed for this, for winter camping and stuff. But the rat fur, which is the carpet lining all the walls and the ceiling, is marine grade. So it doesn't mildew and mold like other types of materials. I remember one time after RTR, I thought it would be so cool to do some sort of wood paneling like mm -hmm. uh, like vans often have they just look super cool and I thought we could figure out how to round the wood lining and take all this wrap for off but we realized that this stuff is incredible it doesn't mold we have in conjunction with the mylar the reflectors right. too it's incredible the only issues that I think we'd have to worry about rot happening is the subfloor mm -hmm. and that we bought it with rot and stuff and treated that and I don't know we're careful and we hope to replace it once we have more of a solid space and we're not living in it anymore but uh, with the wood stove which produces dry heat versus propane which produced a lot of moisture as well as the fans as well as trying to dry off all the moisture from the windows and condensation and stuff we really have never had any issues with mold mm-hmm -mm. And we did, I guess, in um, on the coast of Oregon was the gnarliest time because oh, that yeah. air was so thick. You could see it. Yeah. See the water particles. If you, if in you the went air. outside at night, you could, with your headlamp on, you could like wave your hand and see the. <laughs> it was like you were underwater. It was just kind of like a fog. Yeah. Too. Consistent that's fog. Just, that's just the west side of the Cascades. Cascades it's yeah. so wet. That's uh, a hard no on ever living anywhere on the west side of the Cascades, at least Especially mobile. in the scam, right. yeah. Another thing that we do that we haven't mentioned, that we mention on rare occasion, is the dry bags in our storage. So anything that could get moldy, we put in um, like the same kind of big dry bags that you would use on a float trip. All of our clothes and gear and everything, we keep in dry bags to keep them from um, getting like... Uh, cold and then warming up and they just like generate condensation so that protects them against all that in the winter obviously it is harder to spend time outside I think a really it was just it's always nice to be able to go it's always nice to have kind of a separate living space outside but we can't exactly do that in the winter because it's been so so cold just to sit outside and journal and stuff I still do or to stretch, especially. Like laying out the yoga mat is so nice in the warmer months. But here, if we put, even if we shoveled an area of snow, put the yoga mats on top of it, then we've got wet yoga mats that we then. They're all muddy too. Yeah, and we'd have to roll those up and keep them in the car. So just no on yoga mats, which kind of sucks. But we go on walks instead. We go on a lot of walks just to keep our bodies moving. It's kind of the only exercise we can do aside from standing exercises and going on walks in the winter is pretty epic it's, i love it it's hard to do it's a serious workout because you're trudging through is that the right word trudging yeah trudging through all the snow yeah so a thing that we don't talk about often is pooping in the woods and we don't talk about it because a lot of people do it badly so it's, uh, it can be especially difficult in the winter, but we kind of have it figured out to where we know where the soft ground 
typically is and it's generally under pine trees and under trees where leaves and needles accumulate and then you can always get down um, deeper and the ground typically isn't frozen under trees like that. Uh, another wonderful thing about winter and months where there's not a lot of fire danger is we always bring a lighter with us and just burn the teepee on the spot and then that prevents it from collecting and being gross. So yeah, pooping outside and digging holes in the winter can be difficult, but if you learn how to do it and have a really good little shovel like we do, um, you can make quick work of it and dig a pretty deep hole really quickly and do your thing. So it's not so bad. Like I, I used to kind of dread it and anymore it's not a big deal at all. That's, I think, most of winter everything. Yeah. Like, at first it seems daunting, and now it's, like, just something that you do. And a lot of times, too, especially, like, not necessarily this year because we're so far out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, we, in the winter, you could camp nearer to trailheads and stuff since there's no competition for campsites, and then just use the trailhead toilet. But We are nowhere near... Uh maintained areas like yeah. that anymore another thing too that helps is we have a like witch hazel based uh butt spray mm -hmm. yeah all you do to make it we originally bought it from zum it's called zum butt and it's a bidet in a bottle we had that for a while zum is kansas city local we love all their products but all it is to make it is witch hazel which you can buy i think at like any CVS or whatever, most stores. And then I put some essential oils in it. What's the... On Guard or Thieves? Yes, we've got just doTERRA. Like, you take it easy on that, though, because if you put too much, it can get a little spicy. You just... Yeah, you got to play with it. Some of that, which is... Uh, I think it's good for antimicrobial and stuff. And then tea tree as well is good for butt. So that smells really good, feels really good, and it just helps us stay a little bit cleaner. And it's, a little bit of vitamin E in this lace in the bath, right? Yes. Um, and it's good for keeping us more hygienic in the winter, and it prevents us from having to use baby wipes all the time, because then you just spray your teepee, which you're using anyway, kind of moistens it with some antibacterial, antimicrobial essences, and it's perfect. Another thing with baby wipes, we still do use those in the winter. And you can rip them into, like, fourths even and not use a full baby wipe every time you use one. So normally we'll rip them in either halves or thirds. Yeah, and, at least halves. Because yeah. when you use a baby wipe, you only really use the part that your, like, hand is on. So yeah. all the outer edges aren't used. Yeah, so you don't need... And also with toilet paper, like, you need a lot less than you typically would use or that I would use in the past if you're like accurate with your wiping yeah for whatever reason I always used to bunch up my toilet paper and then out here I don't know why but I just I have a certain amount of toilet paper I take with me to go poop and a certain amount of toilet paper when I have to go pee it's like two or three squares and I always used to when just, you pee yeah okay I always used to pull a bunch of it and crumple it and make a ball and I don't know why I, I guess, why have I become, it's not because we're, we have a shortage of toilet paper. We did. We did for a minute. <laughs> we did. We were the people who did not stock up and had no toilet paper. So I bought a squeezable bidet that we used for a while. We still have it. It's nice. It's just, uh, I don't know, kind of clunky. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work super well. And then you got a wet butt. Yeah. So then you got to use more toilet paper to dry off. Yeah. I uh, haven't really figured that out yet, but <laughs> that was also a good way to feel a lot cleaner. Yeah. And having a creek nearby when we did was really nice because mm -hmm. we can just jump in there. Should we talk about our shower quick? Because that's been a really nice thing. We're talking about the hard things. Oh, okay. Sorry. The last notable challenging part of winter is my period, of course. Our period. I mean, yeah. I'm just well, kidding. you're you're equally as affected by my period. Well, not exactly equally, but you are affected by my period significantly. So it is kind of our period. I know. I was we go through joking, it together, but also not. Yeah. I would like to make a video. I would like to make a podcast on my period because a lot of people ask, men and women ask, and more than just like the act of p 
period, but the hormones and the mental part of it, I think there's a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. And Baron and I have really come a long way with working with uh, my hormones and my period to to make life a lot easier. It's the only time that we ever usually have any issues is when... Like arguments. Yes, is when I am um, just... It's not even that it's like me causing it. I just don't know how to tell you that I am needing space. So then it's like blow up and... Um, it's a hard thing because I think naturally women feel sort of uh, like embarrassed by it. Or yeah. you can't admit that like hormones are a thing. Well, culturally, that's what we're taught. Like yeah. they advertise these tampons that are super discreet. They look like a candy package. Like yeah. we are uh, sold that we need to be hush hush about our periods. So then it's hard for me to admit when I am kind of PMSing, but also it feels so real. My emotions and my frustrations feel so legitimate when I, I mean, my hormones are just different. Like they are heightened or they're, um, dropping. They're just different. So it is real, but it's not as like how logical. you how you feel is real. Yes. But that your reaction to things that you normally wouldn't react to is atypical. Yes. So then from like my logic problem solving brain, it's like, well, something is really wrong here. <laughs> you know? So then like me trying to solve it yeah, without it, knowing is just it like, used to doesn't be work. Where you thought you had done something wrong, so then you respond to me in right. ways that weren't helpful. But now that we both have a grip on when I tend to PMS, like what time of the month that happens, we can both better work with it. And I think it's also important to know when that is. Yes. Because it's not like, so as a dude and not having had periods, then it's like, oh, PMS is just like, oh, you're PMSing while you're on your period. But that's not how that works. Mm -hmm. Like normally once you're, you're on your period, then it's like, we're all good. We made it through the, <laughs> right. the storm, you know? Traditionally, uh, PMS happens pre-period. And yeah, for pre me... Pre-menstrual cycle. Or pre-menstrual syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> for me, it happens pretty spot on a week before. Mm -hmm. If I'm like regular with my diet and exercise and everything, it happens a week before. Sometimes it could happen a week after. Currently, I don't know what's up, but it's happening two weeks after my period, <laughs> which is a little weird. <laughs> Um, so something that like I've learned being a dude in this, like dealing with that is that in the moment, like when you are, um, like feeling emotional or whatever, there's no good way to ask where you're at in your cycle. Like right then. Because it feels like you're delegitimizing my right. feelings. Right. It feels like I'm saying like, oh, you're being crazy. And then you're like, I am not being crazy. And then it just gets crazy. But, uh, but I think, so advice to dudes or like advice to give your significant other maybe is to, if you notice that like, okay, this isn't making sense and you can kind of step back from it, then wait until it's cooled off. And then you can like bring it up and be like, Hey, where are you at in your cycle? Cause I can't really like make sense of this rather than it being like, are you hormonal right then? Cause then it's like firestorm, even if you're right, you know? So it's a, it's a thing that I think you have to talk about as a couple and like tackle it as a team rather than it just being like dude pointing the finger at girl. And I think the female also needs to understand, like I need to, um, not take that personally ever yeah. because if we're working together you're asking me that so that you know what's going on yeah and if i choose to be offended by you asking then neither of us get anywhere it just kind of perpetuates the kind of challenge yeah but it's difficult because like you said the emotions feel very real right so then it's like i like from an external perspective it's like this doesn't make sense like there's no so what is under that that's making you mad right so it takes a lot of work from both the male mm -hmm. and the female 
and that is why this is very much our period. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, just coming clean about it and really having those conversations preemptively and then trying to, even if you, like, track it so that you can know and, like, give your partner a warning, like, hey, here's where I'm at in my cycle, be cool, and, like, give me my space, you know? Because if you, if, if, as a male, if I know that going into it, then I can, like, give you that grace, you know? You'll stop poking me and pulling my hair and <laughs> beating yeah. me up for a few days. Yeah. And, like, maybe get you ice cream or, like, <laughs> you know, or, like, we'll go get pizza or just, like, take it easy. Or if you're working on something, like, tell you that, like, maybe chill. Like, you don't have to push yourself so hard. I should say that you don't beat me up and you don't pull my hair, but you do freaking poke me. It's especially annoying when I'm PMSing. Okay. <laughs> In regards to, like, the act of perioding, <laughs> like, shedding my uterus. Um, Ut uteral lining. Yeah, not that's shedding it, right? We uterus. keep the uterus, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, digging a little space in the snow so that it's not like red snow anywhere is something that I like to do. In the winter, it's actually, this isn't, it's, it's harder and easier in different ways. In the winter, I can just burn my toilet paper in the wood stove and that's no big deal. I don't usually use my menstrual cup in the winter because it's just a little bit too much to go outside and take it out in the cold and not have a sink and stuff and... Um, I'm lucky to have a pretty light flow, so all I have to do is use toilet paper, and that's it. We'll get into, we can get into that some other time if, um, if you want to know more info on all of this. We would love to make a video, I just am a little bit worried that it would turn away half of the audience, but that's why we really want to emphasize that this is a both parties yeah. kind of situation. Because I think there's almost more to learn from the male perspective, you know, because yeah. we're so in the dark on it culturally that, um, yeah, there's a lot that we can do and like tackle it as a team that makes it a lot easier to deal with. And we've just been forced to in such a small space. You are so good at relating to women. I think that's why you are so, especially not only your good looks, but that is why you are so especially attractive to women so to be able to provide that to guys who haven't accessed their more feminine sides is and I'm not saying you're feminine but also I'm not not <laughs> I think it's cool to be feminine <laughs> yeah anyway let's get into the easier things now cool we mentioned a few of the more obvious things like finding spots and um, solitude and that kind of stuff but uh, another big thing is having hot water on the stove all the time so we can make cacao or tea or coffee just on demand. We're, all, we're almost always just brewing something. And it's easy to cook on the stove too. Like we don't have to go outside. We can just sort of passively make things in our little cast iron on top of the stove or in our little um, Dutch oven, make soups and that kind of stuff too. We can heat up the venas. <laughs> yeah. We heat up the venas very easily. <laughs> um, so yeah, just being able to sort of passively cook. But then that being said, I think I eat less in the winter. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Why? Well, we're not as active in the winter. Right. So I, I always have protein powder and greens powder, and I drink that every day um, to kind of get some extra calories. You but cannot then, live on powders. Yeah, you can't live on powders, but they're good to supplement. And then we generally will eat one big meal at night. But just having that constant sort of passive heating element to cook things on is really nice. We mentioned it earlier, but we love our nighttime, morning time kind of rhythm. It's a great way for us to have our me time, our alone time. We are together every day, all day in this 10 foot by seven foot box so having a little bit of time to ourselves each day is fabulous and on that note in the winter we are very much up to our own stuff throughout the day in the scamp that it's not any 
we don't get cabin fever, at least with each other. It's never um, too much to be together all the time. And we've worked on that a lot. I think it helps too that we're both geeks and we have unlimited internet. Yes. So we can entertain ourselves indefinitely. Right. You will stay on one side of the scamp and I will stay on the other side of the scamp. And when we switch, like every few days we'll switch, then it's kind of like we're in a whole new territory. Whole new office. Yes. I normally get the bench during the day and you get the bed. Because I need more space to spread out. Yeah, because you're crafting or just you being alive needs a little bit more space than yes. <laughs> me being alive does. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not, it's just, it's I have it come a long way. Mm-hmm. To be able to take up only the bed to do my crafts, that's amazing. Yeah. I used to have a whole floor in mm-hmm. a whole house. I know. I'm with you. If You can't see Elsa right now, but there's... Quite a lot of passion in, <laughs> in her eyes, just that. I'm doing good. Um, but yeah, the the rhythms that we fall into, so me staying up later, waking up later, and then Elsa having the whole morning to herself is pretty nice. We love the slow pace of winter. We are existing and living in nature, and the natural rhythms of nature are more sleepy in the winter, more restful. It's much slower in the winter. The animals aren't going crazy in the winter, but they kind of are. Like yeah. it, it's fun to tr- see their tracks in the snow. We love that about winter. And the elk sort of come down out of the hills into the valleys. and. But it's colder. Uh, the snow makes movement harder, so it's just naturally a much more restful time is in the winter. So our pace reflects that. And each day we wake up to the sun or to my making coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we slowly go about our days. And it's great and fine and fabulous. And Yeah, it doesn't feel rushed. And I think, too, something I hadn't really considered is content is generally easier to make in the winter. Because in the summertime or in the warmer months, we kind of have to do a thing to make a story arc. But in the wintertime, just being alive in snowy places is pretty interesting in itself. So it's a little bit easier to just passively make videos just of us doing our thing. And there's just not much else to do. We're mm-hmm. so far out, and with COVID happening, there's not much to do in town anyway. But we're not going to town. We're just in the scamp most of the day, every day. So we've got a lot of time to work on stuff. Another thing with the food storage being mentioned is the bears are hibernating. So dealing with like having food around and stuff is a little bit less sketchy because we're not risking baiting in bears. So making bacon outside or whatever is not something that we have to worry about as much in the winter. Camp is prime. It's like the best season for him is in the winter. He is always clean because he just loves to roll in the snow. Loves it. His allergies are very much at bay because he's allergic to pollen, I think. So in the spring and uh, fall, his allergies spike up. But in the winter, he is just tip-top shape, top of his game. Living his best life. He loves the winter, and we love that. In the morning, we, as soon as I wake up, he's at the door, <laughs> huffing and puffing, trying to go outside. He loves the snow. Um, and with that, back to the challenging things, we have to keep a much more watchful eye on camp because he's so happy outside in the winter that he will just jet. So we walk with treats. Oftentimes he um, will be on a leash, especially when we're in a new area, just as we're figuring out the area together. Um, But we have to be a lot more careful because if he were to take off and never come back, he would be really delicious food for a coyote or whatever else. Mm -hmm. On that note, it is really cool to see all the different patterns of animals and how many different animals are around us all the time. Like the other day, we saw moose poop, elk poop, deer poop, rabbit poop. And all of those poops look very similar. Yeah. It's just a size difference. Yeah. And then, um, like, I don't know. It's just so cool seeing how active, because you can't really tell normally. 
but in the winter you can really see how alive the area is by all the footprints everywhere. Something that would kind of fall into, um, I guess it is something that's easier, but it's also not an intuitive thing, is that solar is a lot easier for us to collect in the winter. This is, it's due to a number of variables, partially that in the winter we generally park in the sun, like in full sun, because the passive solar is great for heating up the scamp and melting off snow and everything. And then solar panels themselves are actually more efficient when they're cold. So in the winter months, the solar panels are up to 20% more efficient than they are in the hotter months. And then also, I think the, especially when there's snow on the ground, the reflection of the snow on the panels really makes them hyper-efficient. Um, just a few weeks ago when it was really cold, like down near zero, and the sun was blazing, and there was a lot of fresh snow on the ground, we registered the highest input that we've ever had from our solar panels. It's so confusing because the sun is more direct like higher in the sky in the summer, it's longer days of sun. Yet in the shorter days of sun, even when it is a little cloudy sometimes, just the snow on the ground. And I don't understand the cold, but it's just amazing that <laughs> it helps facilitate our um, like being on our laptops and stuff all day. Not every day, but... But we can use our... A laptop's gluttonously in the winter know, and still so stay weird. caught up on power. It's crazy. But that's just another reason we love the winter. Yeah. We made recently, our most recent videos uh, were this, it was a three-part series of winter camping. And the reason it was three parts was because it was actually just a really long video. We just filmed a lot and had a lot kind of going on in that spot. So I split it up into three videos. And we had a lot of realizations with that. It was also a little bit of an experiment to see if people like the kind of series setup, um, to see if people would then, if you only saw part three, then would you be more likely to go check out the others because it's a three-part series. And I think where it failed a little bit, and it, it wasn't a fail, but the first video had normal amount of views, and then second video was less views than normal. The third video is less than we've seen on any video in, like, months. So, I think part of where that failed was there was no story arc. There was nothing to really... It was just three videos, three normal videos, but I decided that they're part of a series, and they really weren't. I mean, they were. I mean, it, it was it, one long video split up into three, so effectively it's like, it made sense to have them be in a series. Normally, that, they would have just, eas just as easily been standalone videos. So, something that we have really realized for a long time, um, people, you don't know how the YouTube algorithm works, and you really have to hit the YouTube algorithm in order for your videos to be seen and to do well. Um, nobody knows all the moves that you have to make in order to reach and like become part of that algorithm and hit the stream. A lot of people kind of guess and a common one of many ways that people think it makes most sense to, one of the most common ways people think to hit that algorithm stream is to upload multiple times a week. Um, and what we have found is actually, it seems like the less we upload, the more people see the videos. Which runs exactly counter to the mainstream narrative. But I think it makes a lot of sense because when I see channels that I like posting all the time, it becomes so routine that I'm not as interested to see what they're doing. Like, I watch a lot of baking videos, and if they're posting twice a week, I'm like, eh. I see you posting all the time. Uh, I'm not as interested. It's harder for me to be gripped by those videos because they are usually pretty similar. So that was a really interesting test. Uploading three videos in one week was not... The best way for us to do it. Right. I think another 
part of that is generally speaking, I don't think this necessarily happened with the series, but generally speaking, the more often you upload or the more often people upload the quality slips. So if you're uploading once a month, you can put a lot of work into a video versus if you're trying to upload every day, you just can't put in that same level of effort and time. And that also makes it like not as desirable to. And then another thing is burnout. For sure. If you're trying to upload as much as these people would suggest that you do on like growth oriented coaching sites and stuff you're just bound to burn out there's almost no way not to unless your videos are just like you sitting in front of the camera talking for a little bit but even still it's like you run out of things to talk about i think all three of those videos were pretty normal quality for it was so funny people who did see them all loved them and i think it seems like they thought the production value was higher because there was an intro and an outro, which is really because the production value, like we didn't get any better B roll or any. Like, no, we only did drone shots in a couple of the yeah. three. It was pretty funny. I think it is just the intro and the outro. I want to make an intro for all the videos, but I want to do like a three second animation, and I'm learning currently how to do that. But I, um, I'm not going to go and do it. It's just so funny how perception works. You know, like all these people commenting on how good your editing skills have gotten because you did an, an intro, intro and outro. <laughs> yeah. I, but that's really the only difference. I know it. I mean, to us, but yeah. it's hard to... It's hard to look at it objectively. Yeah, when people tell me, your editing has gotten so good, I'm just like, what? I... I've been doing this the same for years, but obviously it it's improved. Obviously, yes, too. yes, yes. That comment also makes me be like, "Well, what do you mean? Did my editing was it not good? <laughs> was before? it bad before?" Yeah, but I get it. It's all. It's always said with good intent. So that was interesting. If you haven't seen those videos, go check them out. They're really fun. I uh, would love to hear what you think about that and what. And now I think in the next, the next time that we just have a bunch of footage, I think I want to try just doing a long video. Yes. One long video. And just, if it takes a couple weeks to edit, then whatever. And that's just scary because I'm afraid that if people then fall off after the first 10 minutes, that then that will tank the video and it's, it's views because you have to, the reason you have to hit that stream, there's so many videos on YouTube that if you don't, YouTube is just going to push it under all the other videos and it will never be seen. But if you get the right amount of views, interaction in the first two days, then it's more likely to be suggested. It's more likely that it will continue yeah. uh, rising in views and stuff. So it's quite the game that There's so many play. variables, though. It's, it's really hard to know what is doing what exactly and we've been paying more attention to analytics lately which is still you don't get a ton of info on how to like you can see what where people fell off and audience retention and you can compare likes and comments and stuff but still it's just a guessing game you just i think you got to put out quality content or that's my strategy make quality videos so that when I do have a video that kind of goes off, gets a ton of views, people will then go back to all the rest of the videos and they're still the same level of quality. And that is what seems to have worked super well for us. And the perennial seller mindset, Ryan Holiday has a book called Perennial Seller. And it talks about how you can make things that are of the moment, um, or you can make things that are sort of timeless, like content that's timeless. And I like to think that a lot of our videos, if you watched them five years from now, they would still be relevant. Like the bullet journaling. Yeah. Or the first time backpacking. Right. Because there's always going to be first time backpackers. There's always going to be journalers. We have several others. Whereas if we were now. talking about the news or current events or whatever more, then you may get, uh, you may get a lot more interaction initially, but then over time, that will fall off. So we're sort of in it for the long haul with most of the stuff that we do. Speaking of the long haul, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I've been working on my book a lot more recently, and um, it is really difficult. I have it to where, so if you don't know, I've been working on a book for a couple of years now about, um, it's called Normal to Nomad, and it's like how to do this and the things that I've learned and um, a lot of sort of advice and how-tos and stuff, along with a lot of different mindfulness things and that kind of stuff too. And um, I finally have it to a point where I have, it's like 20, almost 30 chapters, and I have them laid out to, in an order and a flow that I think makes sense, and it doesn't have a ton of overlap. So that's a really nice step to be there. And for each of the chapters, I have at least a good bit written. I, so I'm to the point where it's, I'm more in editing mode than uh, content like creation mode, like more editing than writing, I guess, at this point. So that's awesome. But it's just exhausting because it's so hard to um, segment it down and sort of distill what exactly I should focus on. Because there's just so much, and it's so daunting to have the whole thing just like sprawled out in front of me. So um, I've just been sort of struggling with that and trying to outline each chapter individually and then ex sort of elaborate on the outline. And then sometimes I'll just sort of like free flow, write an essay sort of thing. Yeah, it's just, it's hard, it's overwhelming, but like I'm making a lot of progress still. And it's almost to the point where we could start bringing in photos and kind of uh, prettying it up. But, yeah, that's been my primary project lately. And it's a hard thing because I don't get a lot of feedback on or anything. So my it's all motivated from within, you know. And it's hard because I can't really share much of it until... Until there's more of it to yeah, read. right. But it's almost the structure there. of it and the backbone of it is there. If mm -hmm. to look at all the chapters and see what will be written is awesome. It's going to be an awesome book. It's just a matter of like chipping away and writing each day and like getting it put together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that would be daunting to just have it so much of it not written. It was easier when I started. Because it was just like in yeah anything like I could write anything and that would um, probably have a place, but now it's like the more exact stuff that I have to dive into, um, and then to make it so I don't repeat myself all the time, and then have carry a similar voice throughout it so it's not sort of all over the place. I don't know. It's been a wild thing to try to rein in, but I'm getting there. That's all. That's all. We've got some more podcasts coming. Hooray. We're doing it. More on the way. But that's all for, for this one. Thank you for tuning in. Love y'all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information and links to the things we talked about, check out our show notes at Normal, the number two, nomad.com slash podcast. If you want to see more of what we're up to, we've documented our travels on YouTube for the past three years and are up to a quarter of a million subscribers. Check it out at youtube.com slash Please give us a five-star review if you like the show so other people can find it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.